I hope you have your Bible handy, and if you do, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John and chapter 3. Gospel of John chapter 3. We're in a series of messages entitled, The Light Has Come. Today we're going to talk about why the light of the world came to the earth, that is, the mission of the light. Here's the key concept today. The light comes to overcome the darkness. The light comes to overcome the darkness. While you're finding John chapter 3, imagine with me that you see a person floating on an inner tube down, downstream on a hot summer day. They're keeping cool in that stream. They're enjoying themselves, loving every minute of the experience, and you are on the bank of that stream or that river watching them go down. However, you know something as you stand on the sh- bank of that river that they don't know as they're floating downstream. You know that not too far around the bend there's a waterfall and that it will endanger their life. And from where you are, you can't see the waterfall, you can't hear the waterfall, but you know that it's there. And so you call out to that person uh, on the inner tube. Hey, there's a waterfall, but you're waved off as a lunatic. You throw them a rope, grab onto the rope, there's a waterfall, and the rope is thrown back to you. You try to toss them a life preserver, and the life preserver is thrown back to you as well, the person waving you off, not wanting to know anything that you're saying to them because they're enjoying what they're doing. They don't heed your warning. They don't believe your words. Now, that dynamic of not heeding the warning, not believing the words, because we don't want to heed the warning or believe the words, Jesus brings to our spiritual situation in John chapter 3. We're stepping into a, a conversation in John 3 that Jesus is having with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is an important man. By the standards of his culture, Nicodemus has become a success. So read with me verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. What do we learn about Nicodemus? He's a man of the Pharisees. That means that he's one of about 7,000 laymen who belong to a sect called the Pharisees, meaning the separate ones. These separate ones were the ultimate fundamentalists of their day, the ultra-legalists of their day. Now, we read the Scriptures and we see the word Pharisee, and because we know that the Pharisees are often in conflict with Jesus, we think negatively regarding that word, the Pharisees. But in reality, that was not the case in Jesus' day. The Pharisees were respected. The Pharisees were looked up to, and they, had, they were an influential group uh, in the land simply because of their knowledge of the Scriptures, their knowledge of the law, and their ability to have a quote or a verse or a bylaw for every situation in life. They were looked up to and respected. People thought that the Pharisees were the model of what righteousness looked like. Nicodemus was one of them. And for Nicodemus, it gets even better because he's not only a member of the Pharisees, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. That is, uh, 70 men who made up the ruling council of the Jews. The Sanhedrin is the supreme court of the Jewish nation. They, they, They ruled in not only religious cases, but also civil and legal cases as well. 
Nicodemus is part of that elite group, but for him it gets even better because by the time you get to verse 10, we see that Jesus labels Nicodemus Israel's teacher. In other words, he was well known for his scholarship. He was well known as a what we might call professor of the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament. He checked all the boxes. Nicodemus was a religious rock star in his day. But what we'll see here in John chapter 3 is that something drew Nicodemus to Jesus at night. He was searching for something. I'm not even sure that Nicodemus actually knew what he was searching for, but something was missing in his life. He wasn't quite satisfied, and he saw something in this young rabbi named Jesus that drew him to him. Nicodemus was going through a life appraisal, and he wasn't completely pleased with what he saw. But in Jesus, he sees something new. He sees something fresh. He sees hope, the hope of more, the hope of better. And so he comes, and he has a conversation recorded in John chapter 3. Now, I love the way that the series The Chosen depicts this meeting in, in video. It's a, actually a fairly extended scene in the series, but I want to show just a brief clip from that conversation. So let's watch the screen together. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <laughs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. I want you to notice Nicodemus's question. How can these things be? Or in our text, how can this be? It's a question with two levels. First level is, how can this be true? And the second level is, how can I have missed all of this if it is true for so long? And look at Jesus' answer. Go to verse 16, the familiar passage, John 3, 16. Here's the heart of Christ's answer. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That's the wonderful statement of the mission of the light. Jesus knows who He is and why He's come. He's come out of love so that those who believe will not perish. This verse is the foundation and the banner of our gospel. This is why there is such a thing as Christmas, why we celebrate. God the Son came to us prompted by love for our rescue so we would not perish if we just believe. That's how it can be. This is what's happening. But some, like our friend floating down that river towards the waterfall, who won't believe any of our warnings, some will indeed perish. Not all will believe. Why? Why is that true? Let's read on. Verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. I want you to notice that verse 18 is, in a sense, the mirror image of verse 16. In verse 16, Jesus gives us the positive side of the, mis of the mission. And the positive side is, I have come out of love, the love that God has for the world, so that those who believe in me will not perish. Verse 18 takes the negative side of it. Why did, he, did Jesus come? He came because we are all condemned without Him. This is the judicial aspect of the process in view. It's the same reality, but the language has changed. Now we're dealing with the language of the courtroom. And the point, as you put these two verses together, side by side, positive and negative, no one is neutral towards God. Jesus comes into the world because He recognizes that the world needs Him, that we all are in trouble without Him. He came because we need His mission of salvation. It's not because someday we might blow it, we might need His services, and He wants to be ready. No, we already need His services. We already stand condemned and have blown it. And the mission of Jesus is to do something about that. The light has come. Verse 20, again, Everyone who does evil hates the light. He will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. In this conversation with Israel's teacher, Jesus is establishing the fact that there are two columns, two kinds of people. There are those who believe and those who are trapped in unbelief. There is the living or the perishing, the guilty or the acquitted, loving darkness or loving light. And this is why some will not believe. When light shows up, it illumines what we really love and what we really hate. And Jesus is saying, I am the light. The light shows us what is true and what is real. You see, in the dark, I can imagine all kinds of things that aren't true. When I'm in a dark room, when I, when I look around, something that I look and see in the shadows that, that I'm fearful of, maybe it's a crazed zombie come to eat my flesh, but when I turn on the light, it's the mop in the bucket I didn't put away last night. 
The light brings knowledge. The light brings truth and understanding. And Jesus is saying both those who love the light and those who hate the light see the light, but they see it very differently. Let's look for a moment at those who will reject the truth of Jesus' gospel. What's happening in them that causes them to reject the warning and the hope and the truth? Verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Now, the, the NIV translation, the word verdict there, is not a good translation. Uh, there, are, there are other options. Judgment is an option. The English Standard, Standard Version uses that. Judgment is in New American Standard as well. But even that gives a little bit of a, a, a false impression because it's not the pronouncement of the judgment that the word points to, but it's rather how the judgment is made, the process of the judgment. So the Jerusalem Bible gives us a good translation of the, the nuance of the word there. It goes like this, on these grounds the sentence is pronounced. That's, that's the beginning of verse 19 in the Jerusalem Bible. On these grounds, the sentence is pronounced. What are the grounds upon which the verdict of condemnation is passed? And if you look at the verses here, 19 and 20, we see that there's a five-step process where it's outlined. Number one, those who stand condemned do evil things. Verse 19. Verse 20, they do not want those things exposed. Verse 20 also, they love the darkness where their evil will not be exposed. So, verse 20, they hate the light because the light threatens to expose the evil so they do not come into the light. That's step five. Thus, not coming into the light, they stand condemned already. Now, you may think that's a pretty harsh description of human nature. But I want you to see that this explanation, this process of how the verdict is passed, comes from the one who reads the hearts and the minds of every person. This is why men and women remain in the darkness. They want to. They choose to. This is where we all are outside of a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. No one is neutral towards God. And the issues that we wrestle with as we hear the gospel message are not completely intellectual issues. So in those times when you're, as a believer, sharing the gospel message with somebody um, near to you or dear to you, and you hear phrases like, well, I need more time. Well, I'm not quite convinced. Well, you know, what about other religions? Or, hey, I hear there's contradictions in the Bible or these kinds of things. You need to realize that that's not just an intellectual uh, exercise. There's a smokescreen there for preference for the darkness. You see, you can't argue somebody into the kingdom of God. Overcoming intellectual objections is important, and it's a reasoned and good thing to do, but it is never a spiritually conclusive thing. Because bottom line, in the midst of all of that discussion, we should ask this basic question. If I were to give all the answers to your questions, all the answers about the existence of God, His work in the world, His call to faith, would you repent and turn to Jesus? And often the answer, honestly, would be no. Because of what Jesus is saying right here. Because left to ourselves, we don't want to. 
Men prefer darkness. Darkness shields us. Darkness hides us. In darkness, we feel like what we do in the dark is something we're not really responsible for and no one will ever know. And that's where we all were before we come to Christ, this personal Savior. But by God's grace, there comes a moment when those who will believe begin to see the light. It breaks in. It invades by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have to cooperate with that light. We have to turn, turn toward it and say yes to the light. But when we begin to want the light, it is the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, doing a supernatural work, softening that hard heart. And when that happens and the light begins to break in, and when we turn in faith towards the light, what happens is described in verse 16 as believing those who believe in Him. And verse 21 is described as coming to the light. The Spirit nudges us towards the light of Jesus, and we must respond. You see, the point is this. When a person is confronted with the message of Jesus Christ, there's one of two reactions that, that happens. We will either have a heart that is broken because of our sin and be driven to repentance and forgiveness or we will turn and flee into the darkness, further into the darkness, because we don't want it. No one is ever neutral before God. No one can claim neutrality in this great struggle for your soul. And there is a struggle going on for all of us today. The soul drenched in sin is so hideous that left to itself, it desires darkness it wants to hide. It wants to cling to the way of life that happens in the shadows. And in the darkness, you can't see through to the beauty and the hope and the joy and the grace that comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the darkened heart is both a victim to and a collaborator with the darkness. But light breaks in. Light is available. And some will come to the light. Some will believe. And when that happens, look back in verse 3. This is how Jesus describes it. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. When that happens, we are spiritually reborn. A new beginning, a new journey, this time together with our Savior. These are the ones who are born again. In verse uh, 16 it says, this new birth comes by their belief in Jesus Christ. Now that's not just an awareness that there was a man, Jesus Christ. That belief means trust-based repentance and reliance on what Jesus has done. When that happens, we change categories from darkness to light. And this is the mission of the light of the world to cause this to happen for all who will respond, to open their hearts to Him. Again, Jesus says it plainly in verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. This is why there is a Christmas. This is why Jesus came. This is what Christmas is all about. In the final analysis, perishing or not perishing, being condemned or not being condemned has to do only with what you do with the light of Jesus Christ. If you stay outside that light, preferring the darkness, 
more than what Jesus offers you, what happens is we just stay condemned because we are condemned already. No one starts neutral with God. No one remains neutral at the hearing of the gospel. Belief is offered. Unbelief is punished. So the mission of the light coming into the world was to make this as clear as possible so as many as possible will be saved. So let's take ourselves back to the bank of that river and that man flowing down in his inner tube enjoying the summer day. And we call out the same message. Hey, there's a waterfall. You're in danger. But instead of get out of here, I don't want to hear what you're saying. Instead of that, we hear, really? I didn't know that. Thanks for calling out. Help me to the side. Throw me a rope. Pull me in. And when that happens, rescue happens. And Jesus wants to rescue us in that way. It takes that response, that trust. But once the rescue happens to you, the rescue should happen through you to others as well. Let me tell you the story about Kathy Lang. Kathy Lang is a veteran surgical nurse, uh, but in um, 2008, when our nation went through the financial downturn of that year, a lot of people lost their jobs. Kathy Lang lost her job. And she was looking for employment as a nurse through a placement agency, and things were, were a little bit tight, pretty difficult. But finally, the placement agency came back to her and offered her a job as a nurse in a clinic in a women's prison. Now, Kathy was afraid to, to work in that prison, afraid, quite frankly, of the, the, the ladies who were in that prison. And, and the whole idea scared her, and so she turned that offer down, and she you know, continued to search for a job. But as she tells it, over the course of the next 10 days, she began to feel like God was nudging her heart as a believer in Jesus Christ to, to shine His light in that prison. She began to be concerned about those women, the, the, the background that they have, the, the, the darkness that was evident in a place like that. And, and it was something that she was being nudged towards uh, as she was seeking the Lord's will. And so she called back that agency 10 days later and she said, uh, I, I'll take the position, only to find out that the position had been filled in the, in the meantime. Oh, Kathy was confused. She said, did I... Did I get God's instruction wrong? Did I get the signals wrong? But the thought of those women in prison, the thought of their emotional and spiritual needs just wouldn't go away. It nagged at her. And so there came a time just a couple days later in her prayer time that Kathy Lang made a promise to God. She said, job or no job, I will be a person who will pray for these women and seek ways to bring blessing to those ladies in that prison. Now, that promise to God was made in her quiet time, 9 p.m. in the evening. The very next morning, 9 a.m., she got a phone call. The job had opened up again, and this time she said yes. So she took the role as nurse in the clinic in that uh, women's prison. And sure enough, she found everything that she thought she was going to find was absolutely true. The hearts and the minds of many of these ladies were closed off to the things of God. They have had things happen in their background which caused them to be bitter and resentful and untrusting. 
But she continued to pray that God would show her a way to, to reach out to these women and break through some of those, those hearts. And she became convinced that God wanted her to begin by giving all of these women a Bible to read. But she found that many of these women were very poor readers. They, if they could read at all, it was a very basic, basic way. And so she prayed about that and she researched. She found a company that publishes a Bible on a third grade reading level. And she convinced that company to send a uh, hundred of those Bibles uh, for uh, just the cost of shipping. Actually, it was 200 in the first shipment. And soon she gave every one of those Bibles away and she asked for more. And as she was asking for more, her vision expanded to other prisons and chaplains heard about what she was doing and they joined in and supported her. And by the printing of the article that I was reading, Kathy Lang had been responsible for the distribution of 6,000 Bibles to women in prisons all over the region where she lived. Many of those women were now reading those Bibles in small groups, discussing them together. They had come to Christ as personal Savior, and they were making a new beginning, being born again, as Jesus described to Nicodemus. See, the light in Kathy shined the light to those ladies as well. And for all of us who know the love of Jesus, that's what we're meant to do. Find a way to shine the light. That's what we're meant to do in this season. Because this is why the light came, to proclaim the message and to shine into the hearts darkened by sin. Isaiah puts it this way in chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus is the light that brings life to all who believe. And the question is to, today for all of us is, which category are you in? Are you in the light? If so, you must shine the light of Jesus' love to those around you. You must think through, how can I do that? Pray about what God would have you to do, even in this season. But maybe you're not in the light. Maybe in reality you're in the darkness. You've been the one who's been pushing it away, not wanting it, choosing darkness over light. But today the Spirit is nudging. The rescue can be yours. You have to act. You have to do something about that nudge because the light is beginning to break through. And if today you need to and you want to do something to come into the light of Jesus' love and find the promise of forgiveness that he's outlining here in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, I'm going to help you do that. Because you do that by faith, but faith is expressed in a prayer. And so we're going to pray together here. No matter where you are, maybe you're in your living room, at your kitchen table, wherever you're watching uh, this broadcast, but I'm going to say a prayer. And if you're one saying today, I need to move into the light of the love of Jesus, this prayer is for you. You simply pray it silently where you are. God will hear. You repeat after me. Let's all go to an attitude of prayer. You pray. Lord Jesus, I've been in darkness for too long. I feel like I'm trapped, but I know you can release me. I want the forgiveness and the cleansing that you offer. I believe that you can give me a new start. Please forgive my sin. 
Wash me clean. Make me your child. I place my faith in you today. And Lord, these aren't magic words. These are words that simply express the cry of a heart that's ready to leave the darkness and enter the light. And I don't know if anyone prayed that prayer along with me today, but I know that it's Your will that we do. Because it's Your will that we be saved. That's why Jesus came. And I pray for those who might have said yes to faith today, that You would assure them, that You would bless them, that You would lead them now in this new journey called the walk of faith. Encourage them to know, Lord, that things are changing and that You are transforming them from the inside. And for all of us who might have already prayed that prayer, maybe even years ago, and have been walking with You by faith, we pray, Lord, that our light would shine a little brighter, that we would understand the magnitude of the mission that we are on with You, that we, Lord Jesus, will be the source of light to others. Help us be that, we pray. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ as Savior today, uh, I'd like to be able to send you this booklet called Now What? It's a, a beginning process of walking with Jesus by faith. But in order to do that, I need to know about your decision. So would you be so kind as to text the word faith to 209-257-8768, 209 209- Two five seven eight seven six eight, and you'll uh, I'll text back to you a form that you fill out with your mailing information, and then I'll be able to mail you this book along with a letter of encouragement in terms of starting your journey, your walk of faith with Jesus. So go ahead and text that the word faith to that number, and uh, we'll be able to rejoice with you and for you for all the work that the things that God is doing in your life. And now we're going to go back to worship. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. So let's worship the Lord together. Amen. Uh, This next song tells the perspective of Jesus' father, Joseph. And much like the sermon that we heard, um, Joseph had a choice because he could cut and run after he heard the words from the angel saying, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Or he could stick around, and uh, thankfully that he did, and he chose to reflect the light that he was he was given to project to that. And so I just pray that you're blessed with this song, um, and feel free to sing along with Joseph's lullaby.
I love the line in that song, soon enough you'll save the day. And he truly has saved the day, and we're so glad that we can rejoice in him. I hope to see you today, uh, this afternoon at 3 p.m. in the courtyard. We're going to be singing carols together. It's the only time I'm going to have to look you in the eye and wish you Merry Christmas, so come on out. We're going to have some fun. And then tune in once again on the 24th at 7 right here on YouTube. We'll have our Christmas Eve celebration, and I hope you can be a part of it. So let's pray together as we conclude this service. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did save the day and you save our soul. So, Lord, we give you glory. and We pray that as we are dismissed from the service today, that we leave this place and wherever we're watching and we are able to live as lights for the glory of the gospel. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.